Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. Today we are going to be doing a review of Netflix film, The Woman in the Window. Um, on top of that, we are going to be doing some lists of our favorite thrillers of all time. Um, but before we get into this review, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the territory that we are entering in the year of cinema, where uh, there are big time films that will be coming out throughout the summer, um, but they don't necessarily fit into kind of my mold of the types of films that I like to typically watch. Um, this week, they did drop a trailer for the film The Green Knight, which uh, is going to be coming out in later summer. It's August at some point in time. And um, there was a lot of there's been a lot of uh, buzz about this film over the last couple of years, because I think it was originally supposed to come out last year. Um, and it just kept getting pushed back. But there was some Oscar buzz that was coming along with this. Um, and I I watched the trailer and I thought that it looks like it's going to be a very interesting film. I'm not so sure that it is going to be a big Oscar player, um, but I, I think it looks like it is going to be a probably a pretty big big release and people will very likely enjoy it. I have to say that this is a movie that my hopes are high for just based off of this trailer, based on who's in it, based on um, the visual uh, aesthetic of the movie. It, you, I mean, as soon as you see it, there's a character in the trailer that um, will instantly remind you of a Guillermo del Toro movie and I mean, like that hooks me right away. So I'll be, I mean, I know I shouldn't go into a movie with such high expectations, but I'll be disappointed if, if this is false flat. I think at the very least, it will be an interesting movie and that's what I'm excited for about it. And I, I, I tend to agree with that kind of uh, interpretation. Immediately, I thought this is Pan's, it, it looks like a Pan's Labyrinth type kind of world. Um, and uh, I think the thing that, that makes it more exciting for me is David Lowry. Um, he's an interesting director. He did a ghost story. Um, and I, I don't know if you ended up ever seeing a ghost story, but uh, 2017, the year that that was released was one of my favorite films of that year. Um, it, it's a little bit raw, <laughs> uh, but uh, it challenges the, the audience and um, if this film is anything like that, uh, I don't. I, I presume it's going to be a little bit more accessible um, because he also directed Pete's Dragon. So I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere kind of in between those two films. Um, but yeah, it looks beautiful. Uh, Dev Patel, I think, is a really good actor that chooses some interesting roles that aren't necessarily kind of pigeonholing him into a very specific type of character. Um, maybe more so than almost any uh, minority actor out there. He doesn't choose roles that, uh, at least since, since uh, Slumdog Millionaire, he hasn't been choosing roles that are all about um, his... Indian 
identity and just kind of plays characters that seem to be could could be played by anybody and i think that's pretty cool um and so this is going to be a huge platform for him i know he's been in other stuff that's been fairly successful but i think that they have an opportunity if um this movie is uh, advertised correctly to make him into a superstar this movie it's a24 correct I believe it is A24. And it is occupying a similar um, world as the Midsommar um, type film, which, I mean, in indie audiences got pretty good response. And I wasn't so hot on Midsommar, but I, you know, respect the craft of that movie. Um, but two things that I think make this uh, movie promising. And I know I've already mentioned a couple things visually. I'm, I'm excited about that. But then beyond that, the cast is great beyond Dev Patel. We have Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, um, Sean Harris, Barry Keoghan, who is kind of a younger actor that's up and coming. Um, Aaron Kellyman, who's been in recent stuff with Disney in a Star Wars stories and, uh, in the Marvel movies. And so, I mean, it's exciting on that front, but then also we have the kind of mythology of the Gawain or Gawain and the Green Knight that it's based off of. And uh, that, I mean, because there's a rich kind of, this is an old story, you can interpret that many different ways. I think that element of the story is gonna be kind of fun. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I think it instantly becomes one of my most anticipated uh, films of the summer. Um, we'll have to wait a little bit for it, but um, it is something to look forward to. Um, it was a big deal that this trailer got dropped this week, as a lot of people were really anticipating um, what this would be like. And this gave us a really good feel for for uh, what this film is going to be like. Um, there are a few other trailers that dropped this week. You have your kind of classic uh, action films. Um, and there are a few that were that were released uh, this week in terms of that. I'm not too interested in some of those. Um, I was interested in uh, there is a comedy um, that looks kind of like a more heartfelt comedy called Fatherhood starring Kevin Hart. Um, and that's coming out uh, the weekend of Father's Day on, I believe it's going to be on Netflix. Um, and uh, it's not going to be some award player or anything like that. But uh, I, I think it looks really like it will be a pretty heartfelt film, um, kind of maybe a little different for Kevin Hart where he could be taken a little more seriously as somebody that's not just a, an idiot. Um, I think it's based on, I don't know if it's based on a book or on uh, a previous film, but about a, a man that is forced to raise his daughter because his wife died and um, trying to be a single father and try to raise, raise your daughter. So it's, it seems like a good film to come out over Father's Day weekend. Um, a lot of people will probably watch it over that weekend, especially with it being Kevin Hart. Um, in addition to that, uh, they released the trailer for Wish Dragon, which is an animated film that's also going to be released on Netflix. And uh, I, I'm guessing you have not seen the trailer on that, uh, Danny, but um, it looks like a complete rip off of Aladdin. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, would be very, very surprised if it ends up picking up 
hardly any buzz. Um, I'll still probably watch it and because I, I, you know, these animated films, a lot of times they are pretty creative. Um, as John Cho as one of the voices, Constance Wu um, from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, very, uh, I think pretty much everybody in the, the cast, at least the main characters are all Asian actors. So um, it may play really well to uh, certain communities. Uh, and Netflix, they had uh, Over the Moon, which was also um, kind of based uh in asian culture and so they they seem to be really investing in films made by uh asian um uh artists and so i think that's pretty cool as well um and then the final trailer that uh seemed really interesting to me was a film that played at sundance but i didn't see it was one of the documentaries that i really wanted to see the sparks brothers by edgar wright um, and it kind of has a little bit of a feel of, uh, searching for sugar man. Did you ever see searching for sugar man? I did not see searching for sugar man, but I remember you telling me about the story and like listening to his music and thinking yeah. that it was a really but great story. It's, it's the spark brothers kind of has this same sort of feel in terms of they're this band that has a great reputation um, and they're generally known by a lot of music artists, but they, uh, like people wouldn't really recognize their music. And so, uh, it looks really interesting the way that it is done. Edgar Wright is a pretty interesting filmmaker. Um, and so I'm looking forward to seeing that. Wish I could have seen it at Sundance this past year. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, I, I want to check that trailer out. And, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I know Edgar Wright's bigger movies, but. I mean, it's interesting that he's doing a documentary because that's. Yeah. I think it just I think it just ended up becoming a passion project for him, and he's like, "Let's do this." Um, and so, yeah, that trailer makes it look really interesting. Um, but the kind of add-on to that that's going to kind of up the game, I think, this year is uh, they are doing the music for the film Annette, um, which is, stars Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, and it's a musical but it looks so bizarre and strange and it it's getting a lot of buzz at least kind of in the indie circles um as a film that could make an awards push come award season i'm not so bought in on that but i think that if it does kind of catch on the fact that you have this this documentary about the spark brothers uh the sparks brothers and then they are scoring this film that uh could potentially get a um, music, some music nominations, uh, since it is a musical. I, I, when I forgot about that trailer, I'd watched it a couple weeks ago and I just, all I have to say is that I feel like Adam Driver kind of has the Midas, the Midas effect where he just is able to elevate every performance <laughs> or every movie he's in, in some way makes it instantly better and seem more interesting. And, uh, maybe that's just like a, a cultural thing right now that people are, interested in seeing Adam Driver, but I mean, he might just be really good at picking movies to be in. And that very well could be, but I do, I do think that there is something to be said about him just elevating um, a character and, and he's interesting and captivating and uh, he's going to be in a bunch of stuff this year. 
Um, so uh, I don't know. I, I would presume that he is going to be recognized for something um, this year. It would be quite the strikeout if he doesn't end up getting recognized for any of the work that he is doing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the you you bring up the idea of kind of elevating. Um, a film. And I think that I am going to have a little bit of commentary in terms of that when we review um, the woman in the window. Uh, I think that plays into things a little bit here. I'm very um, curious to know what you think of this movie. Um, so when we come back, we are going to be talking about uh, the woman in the window um, and uh, breaking that film down. So stay right there and we will be right back. So we are back reviewing the film, The Woman in the Window, directed by Joe Wright and uh, starring Amy Adams. Uh, The film is on Netflix and it is a film about an agoraphobic woman who uh, is watching her neighborhood and witnesses um, some violence take place and many events uh, follow follow what she watches um, and it's a pretty wild ride um, I did not care for this movie at all uh, the number of stars that I ended up giving this film feels a little generous but I think there are aspects of the film that I cannot uh, discount um, just because it wasn't very good. Um, so I did end up giving it two and a half out of five stars or on IMDb. I gave it a five out of 10. Um, and it, it just wasn't that good of a film. What'd you think? I, Danny? I am probably right in lockstep with you. I gave it two and a half stars as well. Um, I had posted on Instagram today, my review and I, this is the short version of it and we'll get into why I think this, I said, this movie is trying so hard to be Hitchcockian in every way and it is afraid to be original I think um and so that's that's my biggest issue with the movie is it time and time again is paying homage without doing anything original and at times feels really cheap um in terms of its storytelling but like you said there's there's elements of it that I have to give credit to it just, when it came together, it did not feel cohesive or feel compelling. I, I think that is spot on. Um, it, for me, it, it feels like a film that doesn't have any idea of what it's trying to do or what type of film it actually wants to be. Um, at times, it really wants to be a, a drama. At times, it really wants to be a thriller. At times, it wants to be a horror movie. And... Um, and I never got a sense that it, it really latched on to any one of those, those genres. Um, and it, a lot of that is because the script is trash. It's absolute trash. Uh, Tracy Letts, who wrote the script, um, he is a fantastic actor. Uh, he's in a lot of really good films. 
Uh, he's a playwright. He wrote uh, the script both for the movie and the stage production of August Osage County. Um, and that, that was a really, really well-respected play on stage. The movie wasn't very good. And uh, I kind of went back through some of the other work that he did. And I really have not liked anything that he has done. So I should have known going into this that because he was the screenwriter, um, that this just wasn't going to be very, very good. Um, and I think I'm getting a little bit sick of uh, them adapting these thriller novels into movies. They're just not that good. Uh, it just doesn't translate quite well. And I, because I watched this movie, I don't know that I care to read the book uh, because it just wasn't, in the end, it wasn't interesting enough um, to, to make me intrigued about what possibly more could have been done. I have to imagine that this is a disservice to the book too. You know what I mean? It, I think that the um, direction, while I think Joe Wright is a good filmmaker in some regards and like he's done some really good movies, just I, he's kind of hit or miss. He, he I, I didn't see Pan, but Pan, which came out and I believe 2016 maybe 2015 was not well received uh very very uh like I, I mean like I think the critics hated it it wasn't even like a okay movie it was actually actively bad I think that he's in the similar territory with this movie because it's it it is it feels really messy and that was evident from I would say probably the first 20 uh, for, or I would say for the first probably five minutes of the movie, I felt it was off to a bad start. And the editing was the very first thing that caught me off guard. And I was like, Ugh, this is this is a lot of information. They're throwing a lot of things at us that we can't really connect the dots with. And I, I thought that it was deliberate. It was being deliberately twisty in an editing way. And then yes. that ended up being the case with the story too, which I can't stand that type of storytelling. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. Um, it, it felt so manipulative the entire time. Like they, there was nothing authentic about what they were trying to do. Um, it was playing into every cliche that you possibly can have. As you said, there was nearly nothing original about the way that it was portrayed. They did some interesting things with the editing, which made it kind of weird because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool the way that they edited that. But there was no purpose besides trying to make it look cool. Um, and, yeah. and I think a lot of that is because of the story just did not lend itself to be edited in that sort of way. If I were a, you know, if I were trying to select a director to make a movie that I wanted to, to have a great visual look to it, I would, I would be able to grade this movie and be like, visually, this is an interesting movie. They have some cool shots. But the problem with it is that it, it is taking every single shot from a Hitchcock movie in yep. some, some way, shape, or form. And it is trying way too hard to just basically rip off rear window yeah. you know what I mean? like it it 
and I, I actually wanted to go back and watch Rear Window. Um, I didn't get time to do that after, but uh, it, I was like frustrated because I'm like, you know, we've already had movies that have done this. I think the best kind of remake version of Rear Window that wasn't the remake of Rear Window was Disturbia. And I thought that was actually a pretty good, um, you know, new take, which was from, I think, the mid 2000s with Shia LaBeouf. Um, I can't remember who directed it, but I thought that uh, that felt much more original. Um, and this just did not have anything new to add to this this type of story. Yeah, it, it did not need, th this film did not need to be made. Um, it's interesting because you have all of these fantastic actors that are a part of this project. I am not a fan of Amy Adams. I know that there are a lot of people that love Amy Adams. I'm not a fan of her. And um, that kind of maybe adds a, a little bit to why I didn't really care about our main character at all. Uh, but it felt there are certain films that feel like the actors are bigger than the film. And so they aren't the characters. It's, it's like, Oh, that's Amy Adams playing that character. That's Gary Oldman playing that character. That's Julianne Moore. And it, that's just the way of this felt. It was just like, we're going to get a bunch of stars because I'm a big name director. Um, I, I have a great cinematographer on here, Bruno De, Del Bonnell, and he's, he's like, it, it looked good at times. Um, the, the cinematography, uh, it, we, they got a great composer and Danny Elfman, um, which the, I think the, the uh, score was probably the highlight of the film. Uh, I thought it was very, very good. And it, it matched the tone at times um it's just that the tone changed so often and it felt like it was just not connected at all um in terms of the performances i'm i used to not be such a big fan of amy adams but she had two movies that kind of turned me around on her which was nocturnal animals which i thought she was really good in which i don't know if you've seen yet still haven't seen it yet and yeah and then arrival or i um, love arrival and, you know, not to say, I mean, those movies are good outside of her performances, but I felt like she, she's really good. I think, I personally believe it just serving the role that she needs to play within the movie she's in typically. Um, and I've come to kind of respect that about her. I think that she played the role as well as she could have, because this is not, you know, story and I think that's true of every actor in it but I will say Julian Moore is almost too big for this movie like her, yes. her performance was maybe a little bit over the top uh and maybe she was directed to do that but like for her to be in this movie for as brief as she is and to be that over the top I was like we don't we don't need this well, you know and that's that's the thing, why would you cast that part to somebody like Julianne Moore? Because it takes away from what is happening there. It's like you that that you're almost starstruck by the fact that she's in it. You're like, oh, it's Julianne Moore. And I think a lot of times when we see movies with big time actors, there's like this adjustment period of time where we have to let them kind of settle into their characters and see them as these characters. But if you don't give the time for them to do that, 
then it looks just gimmicky. And the same thing goes for putting Anthony Mackie in and he's in it. So like, you don't even know it's him because they don't give him any time. So it was a wasted casting. I can't believe he even did it. And I mean, that, that whole aspect of the story is so poorly handled because I mean, you basically are getting this backstory to who she is at some point, at one point in the film. And that seems to be an afterthought in a way Um, when it's the whole motivation and whole initiating uh, event that starts the story essentially. And so again, I, I feel like we're just kind of, pummeling this <laughs> this story into the ground but uh, the things that i i liked about the movie are dragged down because the story is is not good um the other kind of last couple of things that i wanted to just briefly mention was we we've been having conversations about stories that rely on exposition to get the story across to the audience and this had exposition dumps, you know, where it was like, I'm going to explain everything to you at this twist. And it's for as visual, visually interesting as some of the shots are in this movie, those shots rarely are relevatory uh, when telling the story. The story is not told through images. It's told through dialogue. And that is a problem. Right. Um, what did you think of, of that aspect of the movie? I, I wholly agree. Um, it, it sort of insults the viewer um, in making you like kind of feel it's like, oh, yeah, you're too dumb to figure this out um, by straight up just like, all right, this is what's happening. But part of the problem with that is that they try to manipulate you so much throughout to kind of go one way then to jerk you the other way it's like they are purposefully taking you on twists and turns and you know they're taking you on twists and turns and so you can't follow it um, in terms of what you're seeing because you know that you can't believe what you are seeing Um, and that's a huge problem Uh, it's kind of weird that I'm going to compare this film to the father um, because it, they're very, very different films, but in a way, um, it's similar because there is a very thriller aspect to the father and you as the viewer trying to kind of figure things out as the story goes along. I mean, there's a reason that the screenplay for the father ended up winning best, best adapted screenplay. And it's because it, it doesn't insult you as an audience member and lets you kind of experience what is happening um, visually and uh, doesn't feel the need to purposefully lead you on to then have somebody come in and explain to you how it's not that. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think that, that for this film, it's just, it's, it's almost like, um, they had a group project and every, there's a bunch of pieces that are really good and they're like, all right, go work on your project or your part of the project. And then we'll come back together and put it all together. And they came back together and they all did very different things that were all like trying to show off their craft, but none of them work well together. Um, 
Cause like the, there's a, there is one part that I thought was fantastic with the dripping of water from the faucet. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. But it didn't have like, it, it was just a gimmick. It was, just it was a gimmicky thing, but like the way that the sat, the sound was great in that part. It was a great visual. Um, and it, I wanted more of that, but it, for it to be incorporated into this experience and make you feel like um, you really buy in. I just, I'd never bought into this film. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, well, this is weird. This is like, and everybody was just weird. It, the dialogue wasn't good. It felt over, it, like it, it wasn't natural. It was just weird. Yeah. The, the final thing that I, I'll mention, and it is a little bit of a spoiler. Um, so if anybody cares that it, <laughs> this is, I'm going to talk and plug this. your ears. <laughs> um, there's a there's a moment in this movie that it, it goes full scream to me like it feels like a scream movie um, and it happens towards the end of the movie and I'm like you got to be kidding me or, is this the movie I'm watching and I, I like scream for the movie that that is but this isn't the same movie as scream <laughs> you know what I mean and like I, I think that uh, like you said it it feels like maybe this was maybe four or five different movies that got melded into one. And that's, that's a huge problem for it. Well, I can't recommend this movie. Um, but if you feel like watching a bad movie, you can uh, check it out on, check it out on Netflix. Um, the good news is that the next segment of our show is going to be about, uh, good thrillers, thrillers that we really liked. Um, and kind of before we segue to that, I did end up one, one of the uh, aspects of um, searching through kind of some of the thrillers and trying to figure out um, what I think are the best. I, I realized how many I uh, uh, thrillers that I really wanted to see that I never ended up actually seeing. Um, and so I did end up watching the film Widows by Steve McQueen, which I hadn't seen uh, yet. And that's one that I've been wanting to see. And I, I watched that right after watching The Woman in the Window because I needed to kind of like flush my mouth out. <laughs> um, like I had this bad taste in my mouth after that. So I needed I need good filmmaking. And uh, I really liked Widows. I, I think it still had some problems and um, I, I feel like Gillian Flynn, who's the was one of the screenwriters, maybe a one trick pony in the way that she <laughs> writes uh, these kind of thriller stories. But it was interesting, had great performances, looked amazing. And uh, it, it definitely had kind of that thriller feel. Have you I seen those? I haven't, but I would imagine based off of because Steve McQueen did all of the small acts movies, right? right? I mean, I would imagine that he's never going to tell a messy story. It just might be a flawed story, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And that's yeah. exactly, and that's exactly it. And um, I got well, the, the story wasn't as engaging with the widows, but I, I haven't seen it. So I need to, I need to see it before I pass. Yeah. Down. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good sort of movie that it's a sort of thing that if you were wanting to watch a movie with, with other people that is kind of has a thrilling, exciting feel to it it's a sort of movie that you could watch with other people kind of like borders on a little actiony um one more thing i was going to say kind of as an extension on uh our the woman in the window um 
commentary is while I was watching it, it made me think about a film we both watched together during Sundance, the film Knocking. And I just like, I could not help but think Knocking was significantly better in seeing this film, which is, has a lot of a, a similar feel to it. Knocking was kind of lifted up by how bad this film was. Um, yeah, I would agree. And Knocking was a movie that I thought was good. I didn't think it was amazing. I did think about that movie as well when we when I was watching this, uh, when watching Woman in the Window. And this is a great comparison between a story that uses exposition for everything and a story that's almost completely visual um, and does not rely on that exposition. Uh, and if you get a chance to see Knocking, I would definitely recommend watching that over Woman in the Window. Yep, I, I hope that that does come out to a wide audience. So when that movie does get released, I will be sure to let everyone know where they can watch that. And uh, um, that would be my recommendation. All right, so when we return from this break, we are going to do our countdown of both of us are going to give our top five favorite thrillers um, of all time. So stick right there. And we are back talking about our favorite thrillers of all time. Uh, one thing that I noticed while I was trying to kind of nail down what is considered a thriller is that there's this wide range. Um, and I, a few of the films that are on my list, um, you could maybe make an argument that they aren't like a true thriller, but what I uh, decided makes a good thriller is the sort of movie where you're kind of on the edge of your seat and uh, you, you makes your heart beat a little bit um, for an extended period of time where you're, you're just wondering what's going to happen and you're very invested in the characters. And so uh, I think we get a good range of um, different types of films uh, included in talking about this, which is kind of cool. And a lot of times these are films that um, aren't going to be the biggest box office uh, movies. Sometimes they are, but sometimes they are, they are not because they're not overly action type movies. Uh, they require a little bit more uh, thought provoking um, storylines and that doesn't always lead to being a great box office draw. But the other thing is that they often are not um, well-respected uh, on the award circuits. Um, and so these films don't always get talked about all the time. And I, I recognized that uh, I loved thrillers um, back when What Lies Beneath uh, came out a while back. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, I really like these types of movies. And so there's a period of time where I would just watch tons of thrillers. Like that's what I always wanted to see. Um, and I've feel like over the years, I've moved away from that a little bit. Maybe it's just because they, there haven't been as good of thrillers, but uh, every year there's a handful of really good thrillers that I think kind of fall through the cracks. Um, and uh, some, sometimes they don't. Uh, sometimes they're really, there's some really good ones out there. Um, so I struggled a little bit at, at first to kind of make sure that I was 
fitting within this genre. Um, but then once I kind of nailed down what I considered to be the thriller genre, uh, then I had a hard time differentiating between what I think are the best five, um, because I could make an argument for a lot of these to be within that top five. So the five that I chose, uh, I, I kind of feel represent um, a little bit different part of the genre. Um, and uh, I may have included it just to be representative of those areas. Um, but before we get into our top five, I know because we did struggle with this a little bit, um, we're gonna talk about some honorable mentions. Um, so my three, I, I have three honorable mentions. Um, I have The Prestige uh, by Christopher Nolan. I have Uncut Gems um, by the Safdie Brothers. And I have Old Boy by uh, Chan Wook Park. And all three of these at one point in time was in my top five, but then just kind of got pushed out um, by a couple other films. Um, I think they all are fairly different from each other. Um, they all have a very different feel, um, but I, I couldn't talk about this with and leave these films out because I think they are all pretty good. Do you have any comments on any of those? Well, I, I think it's interesting that you, you'd mentioned just like figuring out the genre and kind of what is best representative of the genre. You mentioned Uncut Gems and that's a movie I love. It's probably one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. And I didn't even think about that movie in terms of being a thriller. And I think you're right that it totally could, could fit in a thriller genre. I think just the way that I was thinking about it was that maybe it leaned more drama, but it's, it, it's hard to, that's a hard movie to define by genre. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I didn't even think about that. I had thought of old boy. I had that as an honorable mention, um, Memento, another Christopher Nolan movie that I think is, you know, it plays into noir, which noir is kind of often blends into the thriller genre. Uh, and so that was an area where I, I had, to, had to kind of think about it. Memento used to be in my top five, but I brought it out because I felt like it wasn't fully in the thriller uh, genre and as the, the rest of my top five are. But then I had to think about Psycho from Alfred Hitchcock, definitely a great movie. The Conversation, which is uh, Francis Ford Coppola's movie um, that's about uh, audio, uh, you know, recording that, you know, is interpreted one way, finds out that it has a different interpretation, very similar to Memento and the way that you, people interpret things. And uh, I, I think that for me and what makes a good thriller is, is the characterization and the psychology of a character. Um, and so that is something that we'll see reflected in the uh, top five that I have. Fantastic. All right. So I'm going to start with my number five. Um, so my number five film is Zodiac by David Fincher. I could have probably chosen uh, many of David Fincher's films to fit this slot um, because I think that he's just a fantastic uh, thriller kind of noir mystery crime type uh, a director and um, Zodiac is 
probably one of my favorite of Fincher's films, and it's one of the more understated films in terms of uh, how it was received. Um, it's a little bit longer, which makes it harder to get people to sit down and watch it. Um, but it it is, to me, the perfect example of uh, a film that does not um, insult its audience. And uh, it, it tells an intriguing story where you are along for the ride. Um, what makes it, I think, even better is it is... Uh, the fact that it is based on true events that we still don't really have any idea of what happened. Um, and so you don't go into it already knowing exactly what you're going to see. Um, to an extent you do because it is based on true events, but it's not like a, some of these other serial killers where we caught the guy and so you know. Um, and I think that's what kind of makes this a little more haunting. Um, but the characters are fantastic. They have excellent performances. Um, and I just think it's, I think it's classic David Fincher. And uh, it shows over time he has kind of perfected this genre. Yeah, Zodiac is a great movie. Again, I I just didn't even think about it, but it, I probably would have included it in my honorable mentions. Uh, you're going to see another movie from me of David Fincher's. David Fincher's kind of like, I would say him and Hitchcock are probably two of the best at thrillers. And uh, they're very different types of filmmakers too. I would say they have their own unique style. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think that's a great pick. Um, All right, how about your number five? My number five is uh, from 2014, and it is Nightcrawler. Um, Nightcrawler was a movie that kind of, I didn't have really any expectations going into this movie uh, when I saw it in the theaters. Uh, it is directed by Dan Gilroy, who I believe also... Oh, never mind. I thought that he had uh, been involved with the uh, with Itanya, but that was somebody else. I was confusing with somebody else. But uh, this movie uh, was suspenseful. It has a great character. Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is fantastic in it. Um, he, again, this is a character that you're so intrigued by his psychology um, and that's what makes this a stellar performance and a really engaging movie because it's completely character driven and you continue to see this guy make horrible choices and uh, you kind of still like him <laughs> in a way. There's something charming about him. And uh, you know, e even though everything kind of feels inevitable, you still feel that suspense in the movie. And that's, I think, a credit to the filmmaker um, to be able to build that suspense. And I think that's another thing that I'm gonna probably talk about a lot with these movies is that I think th the thriller genre is one that you need a really good filmmaker for to, because it has to have a, a clear tone. It has to be uh, a unique style because it. It, I feel like it needs to have a, a fresh approach every time because a lot of times they're playing with the same types of stories, often dealing with murder or dealing with violence or things along those lines. So 
you have to have a, a fresh take on it. And uh, this movie definitely had that. And I'm excited to hear the rest of them from you to see where you go with that. Yeah. So that movie was, I, I listed about 10 to 15 movies that I was considering. And that was one of the movies that was on there um, because I, I agree it's, it is uh, very representative of what everything that you're looking for when it comes to um, co- comes to thrillers. Um, a, it, maybe on some days would end up in my top five. Uh, It's just one of those types of films. Um, But that does kind of playing into the idea of um, the unique great filmmakers uh, for these to be uh, on a different level than other types of thrillers. I think that is certainly true. Um, It'll be interesting to see what more um, comes from Dan Gilroy. Uh, he hasn't necessarily solidified himself as a top-notch filmmaker yet. I think he's a writer first. Um, And so I I presume he'll continue to make, make more films, Um, but it'll be interesting to see, but like kind of what we were talking about with David Fincher is the, yeah, it's almost like you could um, just plug in any of their films into, into these slots because um, part of what makes it great is their, their style and the way that they approach these subjects. Um, and you see the same thing in a lot of their films. And yeah, when I look at my, my list here, I think each of these filmmakers uh, have a unique feel. And when you're watching one of their films, you know it's their film because of the way that they approach filmmaking. And that's that's the case for my number four film, which is Collateral by Michael Mann. Um, he's more. I had, of a, I had a feeling that you were going to put this on your list because yep. <laughs> you you showed it to me for the first time probably like four years ago, and I really liked it. I just think the tone of this this film is such that it doesn't have to be extremely fast paced throughout the entire thing, but it keeps you just constantly um unnerved uh and a lot of that is because of the characters um and their ability to really hold that tension you have tom cruise who he i think is excellent at uh creating a very unnerved feeling um he doesn't typically play the bad guy and uh i thought that was excellent casting here as the the charismatic sort of bad guy um and then jimmy fox is just absolutely fantastic in this film uh and it's probably one of his more underrated performances i think he did get nominated but i think it was the same year as uh ray and that just sort of uh took took the cake in terms of um uh which performance was more more well received uh but i think this was equally as good um but a theme that you see in a lot of these films is that they they are portrayed at night um and in many cases where we there's like this darkness that really plays into that i think that that kind of fits that whole noir uh feel um but michael mann is probably my favorite director at being able to shoot scenes at night uh just the way that his his film looks um and the way that he captures cityscapes and skies uh at night 
is absolutely incredible. And I think that that adds to kind of the feel for why I absolutely love this film collateral. Um, and uh, it, it fits into a kind of night uh, LA night subgenre for me. That's for these tense films that I would include a, a night crawler within that, that same genre. Yeah. Um, so go ahead you can move on or if you have something you want to say about collateral but uh you can move on to your number number four i i was just gonna say collateral is a great pick and that i mean it's great movie because of just how tense everything is throughout that film and uh that a huge part of that comes from i think tom cruise's performance in it so good pick i like it um my number four uh pick for top thriller is Vertigo from 1958, which is Alfred Hitchcock. This is a movie I had not seen until last year. And during the pandemic, I guess kind of caught up on a bunch of older movies that I had kind of wanted to see. And this was one of them. This is like often considered one of Hitchcock's best movies. Um, and for it, it doesn't really need to make sense on a story level but because it's so visually captivating and the, the music the score is fantastic um it's probably one of my favorite scores and the uh entire um like a performance between james stewart um and i can't think of the lead actresses kim novak uh there's just so much tension throughout the movie and uh i mean like there's no question why Hitchcock is kind of the master of suspense and that's clear in this movie. So um, it's kind of a, a vanilla pick because it's, it's expected uh, that Hitchcock might show up on one of these types of lists, but I, I really love this movie. I, I probably should have considered Hitchcock here, but um, I stuck to more contemporary films uh, and it just, it just kind of my style, <laughs> but no, I think that is a good pick. Um, Vertigo is very a, a kind of definition of of thriller, um, along with the majority of Hitchcock's uh, filmography. So, um, yeah, I think that that is a a good pick at number four. Uh, my number three, I questioned whether or not to include this because uh, I don't know that it fits the genre perfectly. But my number three is Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. Um, at first, I wouldn't necessarily consider it a thriller. But when I talk, when I'm thinking about what uh, the different elements um, that go into a typical thriller of kind of letting this story kind of unfold as as the the movie goes on, and as as audience members, we are are watching it along with the characters um, take place that this film really fits into that, that feeling. And there are some very, very tense scenes where you recognize that these characters are in grave danger at times and um, that, that you, you're just kind of on the edge of your seat waiting to see what happens. Uh, this is, one of those films that obviously did get recognized by the Academy as being one of the best films of the year. And, um, 
I think it's just because it takes a, it's a really unique take on a lot of different things, um, both social commentary and uh, just an enjoyable experience that's unlike anything that American audiences have ever seen. I had also considered putting in this spot or in my top five, uh, Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder, um, which is maybe a little bit more fits it in with uh, this genre. It reminds me very, very much of Zodiac, but uh, it, it has that, that Bong Joon-ho feel. And um, he's just, I think, I think he's an excellent filmmaker when it comes to these types of movies. And if you've seen um, other, other work from him, uh, the, this is kind of the, the the way that he operates. Yeah, Parasite is, I think, a near perfect movie from a craft standpoint, and uh, the tone is fantastic. And like you said, if we're if what how we define a thriller is a movie that kind of unravels and brings in new information that kind of allows you to recontextualize the story. I mean, it totally fits that genre. I didn't think about it at all when, <laughs> when I was thinking about a thriller. Um, so I think that that's a really cool pick. Um, Your number three. My number three is uh, from 1999, Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. It's the, the last movie that he made. It's also uh, the movie that I believe still holds the longest, holds the record for the longest shoot of all time. And I believe it was, uh, I think, at least over a year of shooting, um, which is a long time. I mean, it takes a long time to make the movie, but that that was just shooting. That wasn't pre-production. That was not including post-production. And so this movie is, again, follows that that theme of it totally is unraveling the entire time. It's a movie that you're following somebody kind of go through these ex- escapades uh, in the night and uh, you're not entirely sure of what is reality at times. And uh, that is, I think, another kind of great uh, theme that you see in thrillers and that's really well played. That is also a reason why I think that this is great because it allows us to see the psychology of this character, allows us to understand okay, if this is not real, what does this tell us about him that he's having these um, sort of daydreams or such um, about different experiences that he might be pretending to have or along those lines. A great performance from Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in this movie. And it's interesting because they were married at this time and they're playing a married couple. Uh, and that kind of adds, I think, an interesting dynamic to the performance. Uh, very uh, interesting, provocative movie overall. I admittedly have never seen Eyes Wide Shut, which uh, I, I've always meant to, just never have. Um, but yeah, I think the the whole psychological thriller aspect of things, um, I don't know that we have represented that as well um, thus far. But uh, my next film on my list does have that uh, approach in my number two film is Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky, um, which is probably one of the more unsettling films <laughs> that I, I have maybe ever seen. And it's simply because as an audience member, um, you 
can't necessarily believe what you are seeing on the screen and you don't there's this blurred line between what is real and what is not real and um and you you very much kind of get that anxiety that uh the the main character played by natalie portman is feeling and this is uh, very much a Darren Aronofsky film, um, and uh, it, it relies very heavily on Natalie Portman in order to pull this off, as well as some of it, the supporting the supporting characters. Um, but what makes this interesting, this film, I think, extra special and interesting to me, is it is a thriller genre type of film with a subject matter that would never be a part of this genre otherwise. Um, it, it, it is an interesting take on uh, the stress and anxieties that certain work puts a person through and the impact that that can have on a person. And uh, I, from what I know about dance and the competitiveness of of dancing on a high level, um, you can see where somebody could kind of unravel like you you see in this film and uh, potentially get to a point where um, this, these people feel uh, somewhat like, like this character does in Black Swan. Um, I just think it's, it's one of the more unique films of the last 20 years. Uh, it, there's nothing quite like it unless you are going to compare it to another Darren Aronofsky film. Um, but uh, yeah, I absolutely loved Black Swan. Again, another movie that I didn't even think about, but it's perfect for this genre. And I love the way that you said that like, it, it isn't a movie about a murder. It's not a movie about violence. It's a movie about striving for perfection, you know? And I think that that is a great... Uh, lens to look at this genre through. Um, it's cool. It's a cool background to have for a thriller story. So that's an awesome pick. Um, my next pick is, you know, a quintessential thriller story, and that is David Fincher's 1995 Seven. Um, I, I just, I mean, even though it is so kind of classic and what in the story it's telling. I think that the, uh, the almost reliability of the structure in the story is what makes this so engaging. You have the premise of a murderer who is killing people in the, it, to reflect the seven deadly sins. And that piques a certain curiosity in the audience member because you're like, okay, uh, first of all, there's a sick part of you as an audience member that kind of is just curious how and what creative way are they going to kill this next person? Um, and how is that going to reflect this sin? Um, I think that this is a, a, a movie that you, you watch now and you're like, God damn it. Why is uh, Kevin Spacey in this movie? You know, uh, you, 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 you think about like, oh man, I, I, I wish that uh, I, I didn't have to think about that part, but that's something that now I, I mean, I, I thought about usual suspects when I was thinking of thrillers and 
I thought again, I'm like Kevin Spacey's in this movie and like that it, to me, it, it, it sort of takes away from it. But regardless of that, I think that what David Fincher does with seven is, you know, it, it totally is representative of the thriller genre. So that's why I picked it. Yeah. I mean, there's a great companion piece to uh, Zodiac and kind of watching, seeing those side by side and seems like probably almost a decade apart um, mm -hmm. in terms of when it was released and how he approached it differently. Um, but how he, it is just a little bit of a different twist on the same, the same genre, mm -hmm. um, which is cool. Yeah. Seven, I could have easily put seven in my top five as well. Um, and yeah, it fits there perfectly. My number one film is Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, this is one of my favorite films of all time. And so I had to put it on this list uh, because I think it's nearly perfect in the way that it um, delivers on tone. Uh, and it has great performances. Um, and it's interesting because uh, Ryan Gosling being the main character, he's not, that's not even the performance that makes, makes the, the film work. It's the side performances because he's so stoic the entire time. Um, but they kind of all support and kind of build up because they, they are better characters around him and they have like a little bit more um, depth to them. I think that that kind of lifts his character up in a way to show um, why he's like the hero. <laughs> um, and uh, that opening sequence in Drive is, to me, representative of what a thriller is all about, um, where you're kind of just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And is he going to be able to do this? And that edge of your seat, like your heart is pumping and, um, and you, you feel the stress of what is about to, to play out. And so um, I, I, I think it is a nearly perfect film and fits into this conversation about uh, thrillers quite well. It's actually the third out of my three uh, L.A. night movies with people driving around. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to select Drive. I thought about putting Drive on my list. The only thing that kept me from it is I was thinking this, this, while it does have a lot of thriller elements, it felt more to me like the noir movie um, in a lot of ways, because even though he's not a detective, he has that um, detective almost persona. He is a stoic guy who maybe has some shady characteristics, but you can rely on him uh, to kind of do the right thing. Um, I, that, that's ultimately why I didn't put it on my list. And if ever we do a noir uh, top five, I promise I'll put drive on my list. <laughs> it better uh, be. Yeah. But, okay. So then my number one, um, again, I think this is one that maybe a lot of people just think of immediately when they think of a thriller is, uh, Silence of the Lambs by John, uh, Jonathan Demme from 1991. Uh, I, I had seen this probably six years ago for the first time and I liked it then, but I rewatched it last year and I had, I had a new appreciation for this movie. This is again, 
a movie that gets into the psychology of its main character. Um, Jodie Foster's character is, first of all, great performance, but the way it's filmed gets us into what it's like to be a woman detective in this world. And a lot of this movie, the subtext is about gender, the relationship between men and women. Um, and it's, it's, I think, ahead of its time in telling a story like that, which is sad because in the 90s, you would have hoped that people would be, you know, looking at stories from women's perspective already. But I, I feel like that's what makes it a standout movie is the context for which that movie came out. And I mean, like it, it still has all the quintessential thriller things, but then it gets into something that I think represents, uh, you know, a story that we don't typically see is, uh, you know, a female detective who's uh, taking on this case that is dangerous, that you're not sure how it's going to end. And she has to enlist the help of somebody who's dangerous uh, to be able to find this, this person. I think it's, it's great storytelling. Uh, the cinematography is great. And that's why it's my number one pick. The last thing that I wanted to say um, before you can kind of respond to this is as I was thinking about this and thinking about the list, I was, um, first of all, Hollywood has an issue of, you know, not having, uh, not celebrating women directors enough. Um, and this is a genre that I feel like we haven't seen a lot of women's films be celebrated. And um, I hope that, you know, in the future, we get a, a really awesome thriller that is widely released and widely celebrated that was made by a woman. Uh, I think that uh, in a lot of ways, Promising Young Woman could have been a movie that made our list. It is, if some, in some ways, is a thriller. Uh, I think it is, leans more drama in some ways. And, uh, but it has some thriller aspects. Um, so that's the, my last thought that I wanted to make after kind of making that connection with Silence of the Lambs. You know, I think that's a excellent commentary on this genre. Um, I, as I was looking at my top five and I looked at the directors, I'm like, man, you, you have uh, five male directors. And I'm think I was trying to think, is there any thriller movies that I have seen that I loved that were um, also, directed by women and like you could make a a case for promising young woman promising young woman is uh, a unique film and it stands out because it does dip into different genres pretty well and uh does it successfully because it has that thriller element but yeah it has the drama element but it also has a little bit of a comedy element too um and uh i think it does those all those things pretty well another movie that I'm thinking now that could have been, we could think about is Sofia Coppola's Beguiled from yeah. 20, 2018 or 2017. And that's a movie that tonally fits the thriller genre pretty well. And actually I was thinking about that a little bit, but I forgot that, that she had directed that film. When, uh, and that also has a lot of female characters too, which, which is one of the interesting things about the woman in the window is that, uh, you have a lead who is a, a female character. It's just, a, it's not a great representation of a person because she's, she's a mess. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and so, yeah, you got that problem. Uh, I was thinking as you were talking about that, the, the foreign film raw, um, by mm. Julia, uh, Docker, Docker now, I think is how you say her name. Um, and that kind of has a little bit of a thriller element to it. Uh, they, that, uh, would maybe fit in into here um and a very unique perspective um there's not i it was one of my favorite year, movies of the year the year it came out um and it's because it's just such a, a fresh unique approach to some genres that um are a little overdone it probably fits a little bit better into the horror genre um than thriller but uh you can make maybe make an argument for for that film also a coming of age movie too so yeah. I mean, it's all three of those things yep yeah no and i think that's what makes it unique um very yeah i i agree with you though that this is a uh, a genre that isn't well represented um and maybe to an extent it's because the genre has isn't overly fresh there's not as many fresh takes on on this genre is you probably can get with some other genres well one thing that is interesting is you mentioned uh at the very beginning when we started talking about our lists that you felt like you had really been into thrillers for a while and then you kind of fell out of that because there might not have been very many recent thrillers that really got your attention and as i was looking at it i mean there's tons that i've missed that i haven't seen but I feel like the 90s and the early 2000s were a really good time period for thrillers. And maybe I'm just saying that because those are the ones I've seen. But it feels like in terms of defining what the modern version of the thriller is, that time period was doing a lot of work. I mean, three of my movies are from the 90s, from my top five. And then on my uh, other list that didn't make it, a lot of them are from the early 2000s. I have Mulholland Drive, Mystic River, Old Boy. Memento, Shutter Island is later in the 2000s, but yeah, no, yeah, in Shutter Island, I feel fits that kind of. It feels like a more early 2000s, 90s type of thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's very, very much the case. Um, I have fun doing this this show because it made me think about some movies I haven't thought about in a while, um, and uh, gave me a reason to talk about them uh, when I probably wouldn't have talked about them otherwise. I wish that the main film that we reviewed today could have been a little bit better, um, but I guess one of the uh, the issues with reviewing films or choosing to review films before it's come out, um, you risk this a little bit. Um, and during this time period, a lot of the big movies that are coming out and the ones that have a lot of buzz, they're going to have that risk of not being very good. Um, and uh, I, I'm fine going down this road. I think that uh, it makes it fun every once in a while to do a film that um, has a lot of hype and just turns out to not be that good. And so the, the film that I think that I am wanting to do for next week um it could fall into this category a little bit but i'm intrigued because it's a genre that uh or it's a the type of film that i typically wouldn't rush to go see um but because it is available on netflix um and made by a big time director uh i think that it would be fun next week to do a review of the film army of the dead 
um, by Zack Snyder. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how this plays out. Uh, there is a ton of hype and buzz around this film. Um, and we're going to see if Zack Snyder can can get his act together and, and make a uh, fun summer type film. And I think that if there is going to be um, that sort of film that maybe is in the vein of something like a Mad Max Fury Road or something like that, it could be could be this film. Okay. Well, I'm excited to check it out. When does it come out? This Friday? This Friday. This upcoming Friday, um, May 21st. Uh, I believe that's correct. Yep, May 21st. Um, it, I think it's already got a theater release. Uh, and then they're going to have it available on Netflix on Friday, May 21st. So until then, I hope everyone has a good week and uh, join us again next week when we talk about Army of the Dead.